0: It helps you scale with less headcount. So when you keep bringing people into a tribal knowledge organization, um, it actually brings down the productivity of everybody else because you've got to keep showing them what to do. So you need more and more people to get things done. Hello, I'm Steve Klass with the business breakthrough you've
1: been waiting for. We're here taking service businesses to a million dollars and beyond. Let's see what kind of impact the next 30 minutes will have on your life and your business. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Business Service Success with Class. Thank you for joining me. Uh, today, I, I've had the privilege and pleasure of interviewing Greg DeVore. He's the owner and CEO of Screen Steps. This gentleman really, really figured out how to handle operations in any business, what his company does is basically take down step by step every single procedure that your company may do or what is institutional knowledge as the owner and put pen to paper. And he's developed a software that can encapsulate that with a training guidebook. So any of your employees, any of your teammates, if you're if you're constantly getting questions like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And you're getting pulled away from work to handle and put out fires. His system that he has in place is for you it really makes it so the repetition is there. And I call it the rule of three. If I get asked the same three questions over the course of three months, that's something that I should write down and have a simple procedure that is captured and able to be implemented. And this doesn't mean that you just do a Loom recording and say, this is how I do this. You need to have it where it's ease of use and what he calls the five-minute procedure or five-second procedure. I should be able to find out what I need to know in five seconds. And what this does is it empowers employees to really take the initiative to figure things out on their own before they immediately go to the key decision maker. In this case, it's typically the owner. So if you're in a business where you feel like you're being sucked in constantly operations, please have a listen to this. And in other great news, I have launched out my book, Service Business Mastery. What I go into is systems and procedures, specifically on sales and marketing. Um, So if you're an entrepreneur and you're struggling to kind of have a great CRM service system set up to get new leads, to nurture the new leads, to run your operations, that's what this book that I poured my heart and soul is is about. Feel free to go on Amazon, just type in Service Business Mastery. It'll immediately come up. up. Um, If you want a free copy, email me at Mm -hmm. steve at successwithclass.com. I'll send you a free PDF copy for all my listeners and if you could leave a five-star review, that's really going to help me out with the algorithms, and I'll really appreciate it. But that's enough about me. Let's go back into Greg now. So stay tuned, folks. This episode's packed with some really, really great business operations insights. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Hello, fellow fellow class listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Service-Based Business Success with Class. I'm sitting here with Greg DeVore. Um, him and I met Serendipitously, let's say both of us simultaneously are launching uh, a new book for the world to see. That's both of us are focused on business growth and entrepreneurship. I tend to be a little bit more sales marketing, but Greg has a company called ScreenSteps that's been in business since 2003, and he specializes in operational functionality for business owners. And I had uh, the pleasure of having a brief powwow with him just last week, and I was blown away with his depth of knowledge on on business the business side on streamlining operations make sure you have systems in place so i said to myself i gotta have this gentleman on the podcast because i know he's gonna have some incredible stories and value to add so greg thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it
0: No, it was great to meet you and uh you know as i was going through your book i'm like oh he's he's talking operations here as well that whole blueprint we've got we've got some things in common here for sure. Absolutely. There's always natural synergies, man. Um, so I, I always love
1: learning more about backgrounds because I can imagine that the polished gem of Greg that we see in front of us today and screen steps was not always the case. So did you always have aspirations to become an entrepreneur or was this something that happened almost accidentally where you started the business on 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 a whim? Walk me through a little bit of the early steps of when maybe you were graduating school and you know the world was your oyster, so to speak.
0: Yeah, no, no master plan at all. Actually, uh, I, I fell into this. So I graduated with a, a film scoring degree from the Berkeley College of Music. And mm-hmm. I was working in the Boston area um, and eventually I ended up working out in L.A. Um, but in between that, that transition from Boston, to L.A., um, my first son was born very premature. He was under two pounds oh. when he was born. He was actually wow. born while we were on vacation. So he had some challenges with that, um, cerebral palsy and autism. And, um, and they basically said, hey, as long as you're self-employed, nobody's going to insure you or him or, or your wife. And so uh, when you're in the film music industry, you're typically self-employed. So it kind of caused I had to, had to do a shift in career trajectory. And my brother, who was a developer, we'd done some side projects. And I had been doing a lot of training, actually, in music studios. So we said, okay, well, we're going to, an opportunity came up and we formed this company. So it was really out of the need for health insurance (laughs) originally. Um, (laughs) And then it's, it's kind of grown from there. That's amazing. So um, yeah, that, that's, that
1: is also a crazy story. And so he was born in the, uh, during a vacation, so to speak, were you in the country?
0: We were in So we were, we were living in Boston. We were visiting my parents for Christmas in Salt Lake city and Christmas Eve morning, my wife's water broke and it was about four months early. So it was, uh, we ended up, we never went back to Boston because he had to stay in the NICU for about four months. And so we, we ended up, I mean, I went back and got our stuff, but my wife never went back. We we ended up moving and we knew we were eventually going to move to LA. So we said, Hey, we're three quarters of the way there. We'll just keep on going. It was quite an adventure. (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's a quite a story, man.
1: Um, I'm glad everything worked out, but that, that, I'm sure at the time it was like harrowing to experience and to go through all this. Like, I need health insurance. How, how is this going to work? How you know this is all unexpected, and most people don't plan for these circumstances. So, no, no. Th- <laughs> how did you take your your that background and say I want to come up with screen steps because it, it, it's not necessarily yeah, correlated. Duration. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so how did that come about? So what happened was when I was at the Berkeley College of Music, I was one of the few students there that used a, a program called Logic Audio. And now that's really well known because it's, yeah, it's Apple I know. has it, right? At the time, it wasn't very well known. A digital performer was the big thing, but I had done an internship with a composer in L.A., and I saw how he used that. I was like, this is a really powerful tool. So I became this kind of only guy at, at Berkeley that was using this program. When I moved out to L.A., right around that time, Apple bought Logic. So all hmm. of a sudden, overnight, all these studios wanted to implement Logic in their in their studios, and so they w- I would come in and help them get set up. Because at the time, this was a super. It had a a manual that was like this thick, and there were parts of it that weren't even translated from German. It was a German company, <laughs> and and you have these composers that are are incredible composers. But they don't want to learn the intricate, you know, underpinnings of this new complex software. They just want to do something. Like they know what the outcome that they want, they want to do it. So what I would do is I would go through, I would read that manual and figure out how it did, how it was, how it worked, how and and create a recipe for them. So the training wasn't like, here's all the underpinnings of logic and here's how everything works. It was like, if you want to do this, then do that. And here's here's a recipe book. So I'd been doing that. Now, this was like before screen recorders. I'm using a camcorder on the screen. You know, it's, <laughs> it's super old school stuff. Um, but at the same time, my brother had been doing some training software and he was approached by GE while he was at a conference over in Paris. And they said, hey, we've got these 3D, 4D ultrasound systems. Sonographers and doctors are really struggling to adapt to these. It would take them six months to develop training for the machines. And the product had a one year life cycle. So my brother comes to me at the right around this time and says, hey, do you want to do this together? So that's when we formed the company and kind of took some of the, the, the technology he'd been working on and the training concepts I've been working on. And we built this this training platform um, that wasn't ScreenSteps at the time, but became the basis of what what we eventually built ScreenSteps. Into.
1: And it seemed like this was super hyper focused on this particular program and software development for these for these um, medical practitioners. So you niched really far down into that market. So like you became the experts and I always espouse that to anyone who's solving a business problem, become hyper-focused on one segment of, it could be real estate, plumbing, it could be in this case, medical device procedures, get really good at that before you start expanding. And was that the organic approach that happened? Like you guys really honed in on this and then you started to notice success?
0: Yeah. So we started, we ended up doing most of the the three to four ultrasound training for GE, Phillips and Siemens. And so we, we worked with those companies, but eventually we got to the point, they were all kind of custom e-learning development contracts. And we built some technology under that, that we, we wanted to become a product business instead of just a services business. And so we made a Mm -hmm. shift and that's when we launched ScreenSteps and it was like, this twenty dollar desktop utility that, that <laughs> just did one little thing really well, and we said we never wanted to become something big or work with enterprises. And over the past you know fifteen years, we've been gradually drug up market, and so now we work you know with banking institutions and healthcare and insurance and higher ed to really solve this knowledge transfer problem. But it started out as a little little tiny utility. So so in the early
1: days, it was just yourself and your brother, I assume, as you guys were working on this. When did you notice it starting to take off where like, hey, I need to potentially start hiring some people to kind of fill in some gaps here?
0: It really happened very gradually. So, um, you know, we we had a few people that would latch on to the one thing we did really well and loved it and they would bring us in. And then it, we bootstrapped the business. So. We would hire, you know, as soon as the revenue went up enough that we had enough revenue to hire someone else, we would do that and uh, and just kept growing the business that way. The, after about, oh, I don't even know how many years it was, about five years of that product, something like that, um, we brought in a third brother who's the one, if you go to Screen Steps, you see all the videos. That's my brother. He used to work at um, Jonathan, who used to work at uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and uh, we, no we we recruited him away from there.
1: Very, I love that organic, slow methodology approach because a lot of people in tech or really any service industry, they they want all they want to do is turn on the ads and get as many uh, new clients as they can, and then fulfillment kind of goes down the toilet. But at the slow and steady approach of like, hey, we got this much revenue, we can allocate this much to hiring or this much into R and D or this much into marketing is going to be the clear path, I think, to success. Now you're not going to be the unicorn like an Uber, so to speak, on that side. Yeah. But most people aren't, and to really set the foundation of a legacy company, I think that's really key: is is having that organic growth. Um, so, with that being said, when you started to branch out from like Phillips and Morris and all these other companies here, um, your bread and butter now is these procedural operations. So that seems to be a problem that you're really great at solving. So, walk me through a little bit of steps. Like, if I'm a new client, right, and I'm coming to you as a property manager, let's say, how are you dissecting how to pop open the hood of the engine and find out what, where the weaknesses lie. What is the process like?
0: Yeah. And, and just to give a little background on this, we've found that this is not just a technology problem because we build a technology product, but then we would see, you know, it's basically like a, it was a knowledge base at the time, but we'd see some people would adopt it and they do fantastic. And some people they, they put a bunch of stuff in there. And nobody ever uses it. So we decided we're going to get really in the weeds of how do you make this a success? Not just from the technology standpoint, but it's really actually more of a cultural and, and, and a reframe, Mm -hmm. cultural change and reframing the problem. So if you're, you know, property management, the first thing that we need to do is say, we're going to commit to a different way of working. We're going to, we're going to say, we're not going to rely on tribal knowledge anymore. And what, how do we define tribal knowledge? Tribal knowledge is anything that's in somebody's head that, um, that somebody else can't access. So if you're hiring, you're working with a partner or employee, they come on, and the way you're gonna train them is they're just gonna watch what you do for several months, that's a business that's relying on tribal knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it gets really hard, the new employee feels powerless, the person who hired them feels frustrated because they can't do anything, they're (laughs) constantly getting asked questions, it's hard to scale, mistakes get made. So the first thing is to say, hey, we don't want to work this way anymore we want people to work independently be confident be able to do things you know, the right way and so we're going to commit to moving from tribal knowledge to relying on guided knowledge so if you've got that commitment to make that change now we're going to go through a process we call this the find and follow framework we're going to go through a process where we're going to help you identify exactly what information you need to get in digital guides identify how to design those digital guides, and then identify what background or foundational knowledge would a team member need to have in order to use these guides independently. So let's just talk through it for you know property management, what this would typically look like. The very first thing you do is say, hey, okay, I've got someone who's going to be managing these 20 properties, whatever it is, mm-hmm. or they're going to be managing uh, collections, whatever their responsibility is. You go through a find and follow workshop. And in that workshop, we're not identifying what they need to know we're identifying what are all the things they need to do? So, mm-hmm. What are the things That's they like have that. to respond to? Like somebody didn't pay their bill. What do you do? Somebody called up and said that they've got a plumbing. Like, what do you do? Um, you know, you find out that, tenant has has just disappeared what do you do you know what are all the different scenarios that come up that somebody has to respond to and it's really enlightening because when people go through this they say this is the first time we've had clarity about what this job really takes right Um, we're working with a credit union right now and uh i think they're up to like 400 different things this person needs to know in that role (laughs) You know, and and so it's like, oh, I can't, I can't figure out why people can't remember this stuff. Well, there's a lot of it in there. So after you've got that find and follow report, that becomes the plan that you work against and you work backwards from then to mind. So if I say, hey, if somebody's going to call and say, hey, I need to defer my payment for 60, 90 days, whatever it is. Right. How is that employee then going to know what to do? I'm going to build a digital guide backwards from that and design it in such a way that they'll be able to handle it. Even if they've never seen the situation before, they can handle that situation on their own.
1: That's that's fantastic. And The reverse engineering process, too, is great. And I, I think it takes a lot of ownership to sit down and really put pen to paper on what their procedures are, because it happens very instantaneous for an owner, because you're, you're the one who's making decisions or you're a director level position. Yep. So delineate that information and put it down where I'm like, OK, this task came in. What's step one now? What's step two? And I, I I forget what book I was reading where they delineate down to nuclear submarine where every single item you're doing is checklist, like turn knob one, press red button, pull lever up, making it so I don't want to say it's dummy proof, but making it so everyone's accountable. And you see this a lot in doctors too. Right before surgery, like the Wash hands, step one. And you would think it's a no-brainer, but it's like they're really calibrating every single thing they're doing as they're in that procedure room because the stakes are so high. And you really have to treat your business in the same way if you ever want to grow past a certain point. So that's brilliant that you're able
0: to – so give me the name one more time of the system, the framework. We call it the find and follow framework. So instead of teaching someone to memorize information, we're going to teach them to find what they need and follow it correctly. Now, how how hard is this to
1: tweak after the fact? Let's say, oh, I forgot to do this procedure. Is it easy enough to kind of go back into this guidebook now and edit in? i like, this is step number five, and it should have been
0: step number seven, let's say? Yeah, so that one of the big problems we see is when we're using tools like Microsoft Word, PDF, and PowerPoint files, there's two challenges that, that show up. First, people can't find them when they need them. And second, they can't follow them because they're really just... They haven't evolved much from the typewriter. It's a whole bunch of text. And, And so that's where we build our product screen steps that it's, um, when you're designing the guides, they allow you to do a couple things that are important. One, break them up into smaller pieces because now when they're broken up into smaller pieces, they're easier to maintain and they're easier to use. But two, we can design the guides so that it's only presenting the level of detail that the employee needs. So a big mistake we see is is documentation is created for that first-time user. Mm-hmm. But what happens? There's so much detail in there that nobody will ever use it again. They're in the middle of, you know, it's that nuclear submarine. It's and the right. Right. That's why checklists are so powerful. Checklists give you just what you need and not all this other background information. It gives you that. So we work with our customers to separate out what we call foundational knowledge and actual knowledge. Foundational is any background information you need in performing this task or or understanding what you're doing. But the actual is just, hey, this is what I do. So when we've got those tools to do that, it's very easy for us to update. It's very iterative. We'll have trainers. They're, they're running training sessions with the employees. And if they find that something is missing or is, is unclear, they're updating it right there in the training session and having them run again. So it's a very iterative process in, in getting these right.
1: Now, does screen steps have this proprietary software built in, or are you using a, a wealth of other back-end softwares to kind of put this all together?
0: No, this is all in screen steps to build those digital guides and, and do that. The, the only thing that we'll use is right now when we do the find-and-follow workshops, we'll pretty much do those, the reports on a spreadsheet, but that's actually coming into the product right now so that you can do the workshops inside of the product as well. But it has the tools to help you build. We've... We have identified, identified kind of three types of articles you need. Um, one is just a standard, you know, help article, you know, how to simple reference. Second is an interactive checklist. So if you've ever, you, were, I think you were talking about this, the, the checklist manifesto, fantastic yep. book, about book. the power of checklists in a business. And what an interactive checklist does is it gives you a checklist, but you can expand out as much detail as you need. So if that new employee Doesn't have as much, uh, you know, experience. They can get down to the click by click instructions. The more experienced employee just sees the high level stuff. Right, makes sense. The last type of article is what we call workflow article. It's really a decision tree. So it's a lot of documentation doesn't handle the variables in a business. So you say, oh, they want to defer their, their rent. Well, it kind of depends on which contract they're on and how big the contract is. And so you've got this documentation that says if this, then that, and then and it's totally confusing to follow. With a decision tree, you can just say, okay, well, is their rent above 1500 or whatever that is, then do this. And it, and it just guides them right through the process. Now, I, I also want to make
1: sure this is important, where the reason that we're creating these systems in place is not because we don't want employees speaking to owners or leadership ever. No. It's it's more that you're empowering them to make a decision themselves by following along these these principles and guidebooks. And yeah. I'm sure you're encouraging people to say, hey, if, if whatever reason something's missing or you want to really make sure, you know, feel free to check in with the management team or whoever the head of your department is.
0: Would, would that be the case? Oh, exactly. And, and what becomes great is they'll have a commenting f- feature in there. So the employee really becomes part of the design process and they get to collaborate on it and they get much owner, much more buy-in into the process. So we were just working with a team member. I had created a guide for them. She said, you know what? You left out this whole step. Can I just go in and add it? It's, it's like, like, yes. Garbage. And so yeah. it's awesome when an employee is saying they're proactive. they we're, we're, we're all committed to this. Of of getting it right so that we have clarity about how we should handle these situations. And what
1: what would you say your your ideal client is? When, when does when does someone come with you with this problem where they feel like they're lost in the weeds and they need your help? At, at what employee count and what what type of um, revenue are you seeing these issues occur?
0: We don't really see it at a revenue stage. It's more an employee count and a business situation. So I would say um, kind of the beginnings of when you really start feeling this problem is right in the 20 to 30 employees, you know, work with teams in that size up to, you know, teams of a thousand or 3000 in that range. But, you know, when you're about 10 people. Sometimes it's so fluid still that it's hard to really nail down things Mm -hmm. um, unless you're super organized, but it's definitely by the time you get to about 20 employees, you're starting to feel it. And so most of the time, especially with property management, it's when they're starting to expand, you know, maybe they're, they're taking on a, a much more properties, a new location, they're hiring, you know, they, they're hiring more and just those, those original owners or operators are, are just feeling crushed with questions. Um, you know, they can't, they don't have time to work on the business because they're constantly just trying to put out fires and and answer questions people have.
1: And I found that even in my my previous business where I had all the institutional knowledge and my days were spent answering questions and putting out fires and actually growing the business because I didn't have a proper training system in place. I didn't have screen steps in my life at the time. So it, it definitely could have helped. And if someone's lesser degree, 5, 10, maybe even 15 employees, and they want to take some of the values that, that your company espouses internally, what are, what are quick, easy steps that someone can take to work on their business
0: before they get to the screen steps uh, side of it? So the biggest thing is just start writing down the questions you get asked every day. What are the things that you get asked all the time? If you just start uh, writing that down, you don't even have to worry about what the answers are yet. Start writing down what those are. Um, because that will give you a real sense of how much of this could actually be handled. Um, You know, if you're not using something as robust as screen steps, at least having just answers to the questions like what's our policy on this and what's our policy on that. Mm -hmm. And really thinking, okay, how am I going to, we call it becoming a knowledge investor instead of a knowledge spender. So if a employee comes to me and says, how do I do this? And I say, Oh, you do the X, Y, Z, then I'm a spender. But if I, if they come to me and say, how do I do this? And I say, I've got, this Google Doc or Word file or ScreenSteps, you know, article that, that I've prepared, now I'm an investor. And, and so we'll actually train people when they're using ScreenSteps to um, when that email comes in or that Slack message, create the article first as a response, because you know, it's going to come back again. And now you've got it for the next time. And I always called it the,
1: the rule of three for me, where if I had the same questions three times in a row over the course of three months, I better, I better jot it down to your point and have a solid response because this is going, this is a pattern now as opposed to a one-off. So yeah. I, I agree with that approach wholeheartedly. Um, and also I, the idea here is if you have a new employee from day one, they have the tools necessary to kind of dive into the system and work through these these issues and problems, or what their day to day tasks are, um, from the get go. So it really is going to save time on the training aspect. If you save time on the training aspect, you save time on on some of the turnovers because people don't feel as burned out. So this becomes a a great snowball effect. Uh, so it's not just the operations internal training. It seems that it it's going to take your entire business to the next level, because now you're freed up to do some more of the real value add on. Maybe it's your sales and marketing can work on. And is this applicable, would you say on every facet of the business from accounting to sales to, um, operations?
0: Yeah. And, and, and a key thing it will help you do, it helps you scale with less headcount. So mm. when you are keep bringing people into a tribal knowledge organization, Um, It actually brings down the productivity of everybody else because you've got to keep showing them what to do. So you need more and more people to get things done. Our customers that apply this, they've they've achieved some pretty amazing things. One group, it used to take them 12 months for somebody really to be working independently. They reduced that down to less than 30 days. Wow. Um, We've seen training times go from, you know, 30 days down to four to five when they apply this framework there. And on top of that, this is the really counterintuitive thing. So when people think, when I'm using a checklist, if I'm using an article or a guide, that's going to slow me down. I would work faster if I just memorized it. It's not true. So we've seen productivity more than double in employees when they start using these guides. Now, if your employee productivity doubles, that means you can wait a lot longer to hire additional headcount as you're scaling up because you can you know, everybody's more productive there. So you look at it from, you know, accounting to sales to back office operations to um, uh, customer support. When you boil these things down to what is the process? What's the checklist I need or the decision tree I need for that? People work more confidently. They work more quickly and they're much more consistent in, in the service and and uh, performance. they, they What would
1: you say is that one of the number one bottlenecks you encounter on, on these businesses, is it ego of someone who's a director who has all the institutional knowledge where if they disappear, you know, the the chain gets broken. Um, but what would you say that is a common pattern you're seeing of resistance? Let's say maybe, uh,
0: I would say the biggest part of resistance will be tenured employees who think that they don't need something like this. Mm. And so we found it a good way to, you know, like I said, this is a culture change, right? And so sometimes you'll have the business owner or the head of operations. They're like, we need this. I know that we need this. And then they talk to the other people that have been there five, 10 years. They're like, yeah, the new people will need this, but I don't need this. We've seen this (laughs) across the board. So they'll build a new hire training around it and those new hires start outperforming the more tenured people that's how i And agree. so then they'll go back and realize and, and it's interesting if you go back to i keep talking about this checklist manifesto book when you go back to that they said it, the checklist had the biggest impact on healthcare they were they were doing the studies in hospitals world health organization but Despite that, people were very resistant to using them because there's some sort of innate pride we have that we feel like a go. checklist is beneath us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and if we could somehow get that out, where we're like, we're committed to this. We're co- we say we're committed. I'm committed to making sure I do this right. I don't. I'm not going to trust my memory. I'm committed to doing this right. And we just reframe that a bit. Then that can usually get that block out. Do you, Do you feel like it starts from the top down? That they. That oh, every, that definitely. The leadership has to be really bought into this yeah so we worked with a large credit union and um the ceo made everybody sign a thing that i am going to make sure that i am an expert at my job and mm-hmm. and part of that was relying on guided knowledge and not on memorization and that that directive from the ceo then empowered all the other leaders to make a really massive shift in in how that uh, credit union operated and the results they got were fantastic. But if you don't have, sometimes we'll see, you know, in larger organizations, you'll see the learning development department say, hey, we want to do this. And they'll do that, but they don't get the buy-in from the supervisors, the directors, the VPs. And so it doesn't go as far as it could because it's not just a training change. This is a different way of working, a different way of, of you know, how we ask questions, how we respond to them in the business. So, that, that executive leadership is really crucial, and I would even say
1: I, I'd imagine that some people who are on shaky grounds don't necessarily want to delineate their information on paper because they 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 might feel a job is in jeopardy because they're the only people who maybe have all the answers. And they're yeah. not they're not they won't come out and say that, but that might be a very subtle reaction that might occur where there's some threatening behavior.
0: I, I've seen that happen. Oh, definitely, you'll have. Usually that's not the business owner. The business owner is like, no, I, I would love run. not to I have, have <laughs> to, to answer all these questions. But sometimes you'll have somebody who's been there a long time, has all this institutional knowledge and is kind of protecting it, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, I mean, they're stressed out, they feel overwhelmed, but they also feel like if if I don't have this, if you know, if other people have this, then what value do I have to the organization? What happens is you realize those are your most valuable people. If they will become, we call it a knowledge champion where they move from, I'm going to hoard all the knowledge to I'm going to empower everyone. The fact is, is every business is changing all the time. And so that person is still super valuable, but they're empowering. Now they have this multiplier effect of I'm empowering this whole team to work independently and be super proficient. And I can use all this institutional knowledge I have to improve all these other areas of the business. That's
1: fantastic. So uh, on average, how long are you are you when you go into a company, and they hire you to onboard your your ScreenStep system. How long does it take your team to develop all of these guidebooks and workshops and go through the process? What's the expectation?
0: So a workshop will will typically only take one to three hours, you know, over a couple of days to do that. That's a pretty straightforward process if you're focused on you know one or two related roles in the organization there. Um, the implementation then is becomes a little bit different anywhere. Short answer is anywhere between two weeks to six months. Mm-hmm. So on the two-week side, if we go into a business and they're pretty well organized, um, then we can bring their stuff in. And, and what we're doing is they've got some existing documentation. We're bringing it in and we're optimizing it. So now it's more followable. We say every guide needs to be findable, followable, scannable, meaning I need to be able to find it in five seconds. I need to be able to follow it with no supervisor intervention. And I need to be able to scan it. So if I'm on the phone with someone, I'm not going to stop and read 20 minutes of text. Like I need to be able to just have the the key points in the process really highlighted for me so I can do that in the context of where I'm working. So that optimization process can happen pretty quickly. Where things slow down is a lot of times when we do this with businesses, they find they haven't made decisions on key procedures. Like the way you did it, you'd say, if I, I, if I ask Mary, she tells me to do it this way. If I ask Bob, he tells me to do it that way. And they'll <laughs> have six, seven different ways of doing the same thing. And so there can be a process. This becomes kind of a, a reconciliation of what is the one way we're going to do this and we're going to be consistent. And we all it. can agree to, right? That's the most Exactly. Exciting. And sometimes there's some internal politics about that and that takes a bit. So if there's clarity on the procedures, it's very fast to get them onboarded. If there's um, a lot of discrepancy and they haven't really decided who's going to be the final say on this, then that can slow things down a bit in, in deciding what the procedure really is.
1: I love the fact that you said it, it. you should be able to find something in five seconds because what I've encountered with business owners is that they'll do like a, a loom screen recording and they'll have a 40-minute process. Like, oh, this is what you do when a tenant pays rent and this is how you check it. And there's no way to, f- like, I, I as an employee, I'm like, I just need a quick answer on one item and this 40 minutes. And there's no way for me to just hop to it. So yep. you just mentioned that you highlight certain things of like, hey, these are key points, like skip here, go here, if you already know, if you already went through these checklists which I think a lot of people miss out on and they don't realize how important that is because the person who's teaching it, it's second nature. They don't yeah. realize what it takes to be a novice or someone who's new to this procedure. So that's
0: excellent that you guys built that in. Well, so we, and we really advise that you're judicious in how you use video video is great as an introduction tool and a tool for teaching concepts, but not a great tool for teaching procedure because a procedure has to be followed. So if you think I'm using a checklist, I don't want to see that checklist in video. I don't want to, have to keep rewinding and fast forwarding or pausing to see, oh, what do right. I do here? So if I'm saying, hey, here's, here's an overview of, of what we do, the systems we use, the people that we work with, video is fantastic for that. But if I'm going to get into a step-by-step procedure, you want something that you can update very easily, which is not video, but you want that visual element. So you have screenshots in there to so make it very clear of how to follow. Um, and then you're going to be able to, because you'll look at these procedures, even a simple procedure can have a lot of variables in it that, you know, if it's this situation, I got to do that. And so a simple thing of creating a contact in your CRM may have right. 20 different steps in it. And that's not ideal in a video because it's very hard for me then to go back and review. So the fact is I won't. I'll watch the video the first time. And after that, I'm going to work from memory. And I'm probably With going to make mistakes. Right. Uh, or I'll just reach out to somebody on Slack or Teams and say, now, how do you do this again? Um, I won't use that video over and over. Now, when you build out these checklists, is it physically a checklist of like,
1: click here, next step, click here, next step, where you're, you're checking a box? I'm just out of my own curiosity.
0: Yeah, so it, we really advise the checklists should serve the situation. There, don't be dogmatic about it. So if you find that the first one might be like, load up the new contact and there may be five clicks in there before you get to that Um, in our interactive checklists you can hide that under the checklist item so that new employee can expand Mm -hmm. it out and see each click but that experienced employee already knows how to do those five things right Right. so we don't want to if you make your checklist too long people will skip it so you don't want to have like every little click in there but if you want to have it be the key point so what's the key point of the process well i need to load up a new contact I need to make sure they're assigned an owner. I need to make sure that I have a next task and that uh, I've set a due date on it. So that might be the checklist. And then underneath each one of those to expand out, I'll have those click by click things for the the, the sub steps involved there.
1: That's fantastic. So I I assume now that you're involved in, in many different service sectors and businesses, what's the next step? no pun intended for screen steps, are you going to just broad this, broaden this out as much as possible? Or, or are you just trying to really focus on a certain industry, let's say now?
0: We are very focused on really any business that's dealing with complexity and change. So, mm. you know, you think of uh, um, you know property management, you have constant change going on, new property comes in, new people come in. Uh, there's lots of complexity with all the, the legal things, the, you know, the, the billing, all that sort of stuff. So think of like healthcare, financial, um, IT support, um, property management, these types of things. And the problems we're focused on, we have kind of a list of 10 that we we really focus on. How do we help people identify what knowledge they need for people to work independently? How do they capture it? How do they maintain it? How do they optimize it? How do they know what's working and what isn't? how do they notify people of changes? So it, we call it a knowledge operations platform. So we're, we're working to just continually refine that process of how do we go from somebody needs to know something to they can do this totally independently.
1: Right. And uh, what I love about you guys is that you were very much ahead of the curve, the COVID curve of working virtually. And we're seeing a more and more people opt in for remote work in spite of what companies now everyone's back to the office mentality yeah so i think what you're delivering is of the utmost importance now because if you're not in an environment of an office where you can just like peek your head on the cubicle to bob and ask a quick question and you have to rely on slack or these other channels more than ever you need proper documentation and systems in place to make sure that there's accountability. And you brought up twice now when it comes to changing the, the cultural message where everyone's kind of onboarded. How have you been able to keep that alive in your own organization, on the culture where people feel connected to one another? Because right now, how many employees do you currently have? We have a team of about 16. 16, all right, so you're fairly robust on that side. You're yeah. almost to a point where you take yourself on as a client. Yeah. Um, how, are you, how are you organizing your own company and kind of taking screen steps internally?
0: Yeah, so we um, uh, we run workshops internally for the different roles to uh, identify what those you know those things need to be. Um, we try to be a knowledge investor, so I try to you know eat the dog food uh, just like <laughs> everyone else, and so I'll spend that time to say, okay, I just had to do this list last week. There was a process. There was these situations that were coming up that we hadn't really defined, and so going through and defining what that. Procedure looks like, and it's crucial. We're we're completely remote. We've been remote since 2007, um, and if you don't have clear guidance on what to do, things become really hard. It's really hard for someone to get onboarded into the organization to become productive. We had a, a one of our our you know our best clients. Uh, it was right around the. It was during the pandemic, and they said we realized our whole training process was built on the fact that I could tap my neighbor next to me. right? And so the pandemic totally broke that. Um, And businesses are starting to come to terms with that. I think a lot of this of why you're seeing businesses say, hey, we need you to come back into the office is because these are businesses that have relied on tribal knowledge. And when you are in a remote situation, it is much harder to rely on tribal knowledge. Everything moves much more slowly. Uh, So I'm not saying... I'm not saying it's good or bad to be in office or remote, but if you're going to be remote and you want people to be productive, you've got to have some sort of guided knowledge for them, for at least the operational side of your business. So you can spend that face time on more of the, you know, the, the culture, you know, transmitting the culture and the, and the deep knowledge of the business versus, you know, how do I handle this, this task or this situation? Now, how often
1: would you recommend people conduct meetings within their business because i know a lot of remote workers feel like they're obligated to join meetings that they find pointless or just there's no set objective and they're just kind of checking a box just to show up what what have you found to be the optimal meeting and obviously this is going to change potentially business sector the business sector but out of my own curiosity what would your advice on that would be
0: for entrepreneurs So I've read a couple of books on this and changed it over, over the years, you know, to get the right cadence. There were times where we had like not enough meetings, you know, where everybody's just kind of working and times where we've gone too much. I found that right now we work with a, kind of the directors, the leaders of the business um, once every two weeks, we have mm-hmm. that. And then we do, every manager has a weekly check-in with uh, the, their direct reports. And um, that cadence has worked pretty well for us. You just want to find the right balance. A meeting ideally should not be a place to transmit information. It's Mm a, it's a time to counsel together and solve problems. It's not a time. So I think where a lot of burnout comes in is like, so-and-so is going to show us how to do this for 45 minutes or so-and-so is going to show us how to do this for an hour. Like that is like, you know, nails on a chalkboard. Um, Oh man. I remember my old job that the meeting was like, Hey, these are the changes
1: coming to like your healthcare plan. Let's spend an hour and a half talking. And everyone's like, Oh my God, this could have just been an email type of
0: thing. (laughs) Exactly. So we just rolled out a whole new employee review system. We switched providers, right? We didn't have a single meeting about it and we've got great adoption on it. So we use the find and follow methodology to go through and say, what's the background knowledge they need. It was like a five minute video. And then what's the procedural stuff that they'll need, the checklists or the how-to guides? And we push those all out. We've never had a company-wide meeting of, here's the new employee review system. Here's how we all do it. And, but we've got great adoption on it. So using that find-and-follow methodology, we can make changes much less painless. And then when we're meeting together, it's much more productive. Like we're, we're, we're tackling big problems or questions or, or coordinating on work we're going to do or cost
1: speed when they come into the meeting. It's not like new knowledge that's being transmitted to you. Exactly, audience. exactly. That's great, Greg. You should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, this is a yeah. I, and and uh, spoiler: you have r- written a book.
0: Is it so? Remind the, the audience when it's uh, potentially being launched. So the official launch is November 9th. Um, it's, uh, and what's um, the title? The title is "Find and Follow: Reducing Supervisor Burnout and Impl- Improving Employee Performance by Transferring Knowledge Faster." Excellent. And I'm sure if people just go type that right into Amazon, find
1: and follow, Craig's uh, bio will come up. Um, it's an excellent read. I just started it actually last night. So I'll give a formal review once I'm done here. Um, and we're kind of getting to the the, the the point of the podcast where I always ask the same question for every guest. And it's a, I, want, I want you to be introspective on this answer. We're winding the clock back to uh, a younger man when you found that your wife, you know, j- just had your, your firstborn son and you're in the music industry as, a, as like a, doing the composing, what lessons and knowledge base that you have now, would you say to your younger self at that moment in time?
0: Don't worry as much. It's going to work out. Like you're going to find a way you're going to find a way, you know, sometimes we, we hit challenges And you think there's just no way out of this. Like, I don't see how this is going to And if, and when we get in that mode, our ability to make decisions decreases. And so if we can calm down, be kind of introspective, I found like taking time to just step away from something reduce to what can I control? What can I not? And then act, um, things
1: work out. It's very true. You know, I, I had that myself um, when I launched my first business. It was in the middle of COVID, and I got laid off. And my wife, two weeks later, was promptly laid off as well. And she was six months pregnant, and we have zero income coming in. So I was, as you can imagine, freaking out at the time. But in a long enough run, things do work out as long as you you aim to become one percent better on a day to day basis, or, or at least taking a semi small step forward and you might take two steps back, but as long as that progression mindset is there, yeah. you know, the, you don't have to see the light at the end of the tunnel it's there, but you don't have yep. to necessarily see it because it eventually will come.
0: You got to uh, have that. And, and I remember reading that in your book In the intro, you talk about that story, right. Mm-hmm. Of, and, and I, you know, I think it goes on the journey that you went through from kind of rock bottom to, to sure. where you are now, you've got to have that kind of picture in the distance of where you're going, but also the focus on what's the next thing I need to do and not, you know, keep those both in mind. And Not the hundred right. steps you have to
1: take because that overwhelming. Exactly. Yep. It's very true. Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show. If anyone wants to learn more about yourself, more about the, your company, where can they find your book aside?
0: So, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Greg DeVore on LinkedIn. Um, uh, the, the book find and follow on Amazon company is ScreenSteps. screensteps.com. So or actually out to and me and- at Greg at screensteps.com. Happy to to talk to him. And if you're that you're that
1: a small business owner or part of the leadership team, and you happen to fall between that twenty to even a thousand-person employee, and you feel like you're being overwhelmed by your business operations, you're working in the business, not on the business, so to speak. Um, Greg is the man to speak to because, as we've relayed here, he's got it figured out. So, again, thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to continuing our conversation in the future.
0: Take Thanks. care, everyone. Great, great talk to you, Steve.
1: Thank you for tuning into Service Business Success with Class. Are you craving more strategies to supercharge your business growth? You can connect with me at successwithclass.com or on my Instagram at Stevie Class. And remember, when you hit subscribe, it's a win win. You'll get your hands on all the latest tips and you'll be supporting the show too. Thanks again for joining. Until next time.